Hi, welcome to the NeuroSec podcast, where we unite people and organizations to support and advance neurodiverse people in cybersecurity and beyond to make the world more diverse and inclusive. My name is Nathan Chung, and today my special guest is Dr. Stacey Thayer, organizational development consultant and professor of, of cyberpsychology at the California Lutheran University. Welcome, Stacey. Hello, thank you. Thank you, Nathan, for this opportunity. I look forward to looking forward to this. Great. It's a pleasure having you here. To start, I was very impressed by your, your, from your uh, talk from Black Hat 2018 titled, How Can Someone with Autism Specifically Enhance the Cybersecurity Workforce? Uh, that topic is near and dear to my heart because I'm actually autistic and I totally agree with a lot of things you talked about. Now, more than two and a half years later, do you feel that things have changed for people with ASD and cybersecurity? Great question. Um, they've, I wouldn't say so much changed. I think changed, we like to think of as, as drastic, it's, but it's evolving. It's growing. It's moving in the right direction. And part of that comes from awareness, uh, not only of ASD and, and neurodiversity, but also just of, of mental health and, and people as an individual too. What are, what are people going through as it's, it's very much a different workplace than it was even like 40 or 50 years ago when mm-hmm. you came to work and you left your, your, your personal life at, at home. I mean, and look at us now, it's like everybody's at home and at yes. home, right? We're completely blended. Um, but with that becomes the request and the call for managers to take a look at each of their employees and say, okay, how do I connect to this person? And that includes individuals with ASD and especially in the security industry, um, as we addressed during the, the talk two years ago, um, that the security industry is very appealing because of the way that uh, there's there's problems to be solved and different ways of looking at things. And it's very stimulating for uh, high functioning people with ASD. And so I think in the past two years, it's, it's continuing to, to march along towards awareness, towards understanding and managers and managers and parents um, are trying to learn what can they do to help people? Because actually in the talk, most of the questions that I got afterwards were actually from a lot of parents, people in the security oh. with children uh, and teenagers. That's interesting. Yeah. It really, I, I did not expect that. And that was my a huge takeaway were all these parents that came up. They said, you know, they work in the security industry. So they were at Black Hat and they would say, my son or daughter, um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what to do. Could I encourage them to go into this industry? And so as we sort of connect the dots and say, here's why this, this might be appealing. And here's other people that you can connect to and here's resources. And when, when Rhett approached me with this talk, it was, he was really championing the, the acceptance and that, yeah, you know what, this is something that exists. And mm-hmm. we went out and, and interviewed people and, and surveyed people to get their responses. And there was, there were plenty of people to talk to. And so to normalize it and say, here's a place that you can come to and do work and the industry itself can connect to you and understand. And it's okay if you march to the beat of a different drummer, we all do in one way or another. Um, So I'd say in the past two years, um, it, it, it has grown with more acceptance, more understanding and more recognition. We understand now that, okay, so, so yes, there's, there, there might be something about, about somebody that I don't quite understand. Oh, okay, it's, it's autism or it, it's something we're, we're trying to understand more and the language is, is used more often and with understanding. That's wonderful. It sounds like we're making progress. I'm really happy with that. 
One of the biggest issues today that you highlight in your talk was how people with ASD are treated in the workplace. Before COVID and the stay-at-home orders, often they were mentally, if not physically, treated differently. It's like a label, like either normal or not normal. And often managers continue to use older traditional management models and business practices that reinforce the corporate culture that is often not friendly to ESD workers. I brought up, brought, I brought this up in, I brought up the same issue in one of my talks last year. And what, what, how do you feel? What more can be done by leaders to change corporate culture and to encourage managers to treat ASD workers better so that it's more diverse and inclusive? Like we're part of a team instead of you're different. Mm-hmm. Well, the awareness is, is very much a big piece. And, and I think the uh, light was really shined on this with COVID and with stay at home because all of a sudden there was no common denominator for everybody's work experience. It's not like when you go into the office and your cubicles are the same and the offices are, are the same and you know what to expect. All of a sudden, everybody had different situations that they were working with. Some mm-hmm. people had to work with kids in the background. Some people had to, to work with roommates in the background. And managers had to step up and say, okay, so now I have to look instead of my team, I have to look at my, my staff both as individuals and team. Mm-hmm. And I think that this became a big advantage and a step, even a, a larger step towards making progress towards acceptance and understanding because this also included recognizing some of the uh, either either neuro or mental or behavioral or mental health challenges that employees have. Um, even employees with who suffer from depression, it amplified because of COVID for many of them, and managers had to adjust to that. In the case of ASD or, or neurodiversity, again, managers had to step up and say, okay, so what's the environment? What do you need? Are you flourishing when working from home? And a lot of times, even before COVID, People would, with AT would actually flourish from working from home because there were no distractions, because mm-hmm. there weren't the social interactions that would trigger them for the rest of the day. And and they would now that if, if work from home becomes even more accepted as it seems that it's moving in the direction towards hybrid models or whatnot, I think that that's actually going to be even more advantageous, both for managers and for individuals that don't flourish very well in an office space. Um, Socially, it's very challenging. And this is something that has always interested me just from the beginning of of my career with psychology and and technology is in the workplace, there is often um, a a disconnect sometimes between people who are not technical and people who are technical, right? Yes. And I've seen it time and time again in different companies. Usually a lot of times it comes from, and I'm just going to make the generalization of you'll have your salespeople and your coders, your developers, say, for example. And so the salespeople will be be talking with a client. They'll come over. They'll say, hey, you need to make this feature. We have a large company, you know, Fortune 500. They want this feature. You guys can make that, right? And, of course, developers are like, no. What do you mean that no? (laughs) And they may not be as much into the schmoozing and the wheel, you know, the handshaking and just different personalities, extroverts, introverts, right? And then what happens is so then you're trying to figure out the the social navigation anyway. And one thing is, is, is most people have some form of when they're in a social interaction, they're still doing some sort of self monitoring. 
Mm. There's a heightened awareness when we're in a social interaction. It's that if you think of the phenomenon when you're learning someone's name for the first time, you're so busy thinking about your name that you forget their name. <laughs> yes, right? absolutely. About ourselves. And so a lot of times when you're in the workplace and you're dealing with somebody, uh, interacting with somebody who has ASD, and the communication patterns may be unfamiliar, mm. maybe more abrupt. Or they may go in a different direction, or there's something about the uh, the pattern of and the feedback of communication that throws people off, and they don't know what to do with that. All they know, people pay attention to how other people make them feel. Yes, and that can be very challenging for somebody with with, with ASD because they're not connected necessarily to how they make other people feel. So there's this giant gap, and when we're able to recognize, oh, all right, that person, you know has it has this challenge or has this uh sometimes this strength uh you know but, but it, this is something that they're diagnosed with and this is just a factor of their being we can understand them a little bit more a little bit better and say oh okay that's what it is because otherwise a lot of times we're going in our head going am i am i doing something wrong do they like mm. me? not like me do i like them now i'm now they've made me uncomfortable so i'm angry at them you put me out of my comfort zone and there's a lot of emotions going on that the person sometimes with ASD may be completely either unaware of or yes. not knowing what to do. And um, the third person who was in our talk at Black House, Casey, and uh, he was a manager. And, and what he spoke to was what it was like to be a manager of, of in this case, Rat, of somebody who was so talented and such an asset to the team. But Casey took it upon himself to, to learn what worked with Rat and what didn't. Who, how to talk to Rhett, mm-hmm. not to. And he talks about that in the talk because that was what really solidified their relationship and their trust was that Casey took the time and the effort to learn and understand. And that made all the difference for, for Rhett and for the rest of the company. That, okay, if you want to talk to Rhett, maybe you come through me to, to do that. And then I can, I can buffer it and find a good time because I know there's sometimes you just don't want to interrupt that person and mm-hmm. sometimes it's okay. And when the manager can step up and take it upon themselves to, to, to manage, to manage the relationships, to manage the person, to understand and create awareness for the team, then it can create more equality, more understanding, more patience, more acceptance. And that can make all the difference for success for somebody with incredible talent, because there are very, very many high functioning people with ASD who are amazingly talented. Um, we were joking when we first got the talk together because we were talking, we were going to call it, I think it was weaponizing um, autism. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the pilot name that we would call it. Um, but it was because, I mean, you, you take this asset and you point this asset in the right direction. And actually, this was one of the things that was really fascinating even about just in speaking with Rhett is we would be talking and he would notice different things. So he would notice some of my, mm. my behaviors of, oh, you talk with your things that, that I hadn't necessarily observed even in myself, but because he, he looked at things with such a different angle, mm. it was interesting just even for you know a couple of hours, see the world through his eyes because it was so different from maybe the way that I see things. And when you apply that then to the field of computer security, now you're, you're, connecting to these machines in a way that is different. And, and that's something that is so important for security because it is at the end of the day, what the person behind the computer is thinking is doing is programming. It does all come down to people, but how people connect to computers. And that can actually be that, that structural thinking, that angle, that following that piece of thread 
is something that it can, when, when thought of and, and looked at in a different way from a different lens can be incredibly powerful. Yes, absolutely. And it sounds like I remember that part of his talk and I think I was really inspired by it because it really does help to build like empathy. It's like, just make the time to get to know the person, like simple thing like that, which sadly I, in my experience, it, it, it's, it is hard for managers to do that. It just seems like default, no, I'm not going to do that for some reason. <laughs> it's, it's a hard bridge because yes. sometimes what can happen, and I, I don't like to be too general because one of the important things about what's, what's happening now is that people are recognizing the grays. Mm. Of and that we don't want to say that, oh, okay, people with Asperger's do this. I mean, there, there are diagnostic criteria, but when you start like with any, with any diagnostic, in, in my opinion, anyway, with any diagnosis, when you just start checking off blocks, you're, you forget to look at the person and you're just looking at the diagnosis. Absolutely. So it is so, right, it's so important to say, okay, there may be patterns. So you may find that if in working with somebody with, um, with autism, that their speech patterns may be more abrupt. The spacing between words may not be mm. as, too much. Um, but usually there's there's sort of a, um, things may be said that Hello? might not come up in normal conversation. Uh, but they said might just sort of come out and, and you're like, what just, what? What was that? Or the um, even nonverbal communication, um, smiling, mm. the way they hold themselves. Actually, the, one of the things I teach in my, my cyber psychology classes is called Moravian's Rule of Communication. And the fact is that people only listen to 7% of the words that people are saying. Everything else, yes. tone of voice, body language, facial mm. language. And for a lot of people who um, have ASD, paralanguage is something there because they focus on the words. Yes. But that 7% listening to the words. And so they're forgetting, okay, nod, smile. Am I making this person feel at ease? You know, how, back to that. Mm. And so if somebody is, say, even a manager, managers have insecurities. Managers may not be self-confident. It can be very hard for somebody to say, okay, it doesn't matter. They, they may be acting like they don't even like me. I may think they're mad at me, but I don't care. That's very hard for people to push back on. Mm. Feedback centric. And we look to other people for, do you, are, you know, do you get what I'm saying? Do you not get it? We, we just, that's how we communicate through looking at somebody and then we get the message back. So sender receiver. And if we're not getting anything back, a lot of times people shut down and they mm. on their own comfort, but a good manager has to, they have to push back. They yes. have to step out of their comfort zone. It doesn't matter how much you don't like somebody, how much you like somebody. You can be somebody's best friend. You can be their worst enemy. If you were their manager, you have to have a relationship with them. You have to push back. Um, there's, Absolutely. There's a lot of managers that even don't like difficult conversations. If you think about how hard it is to have a difficult conversation, telling somebody as a manager, you don't do that right. We don't mm. give people bad news. Most of us don't like to give people bad news, discomfort. And so people just, don't have those hard conversations or they don't go into areas where they don't know or feel comfortable and confident. The shakier mm. you have to go there. Yep. And it creates barriers. Yes. Yes. And if you do, if you push past those barriers and you reach out and you say, this is how I can make this person and help them and, and coach them, then it is more often than not, I find completely worth your while. And the, the managers that have done that and have reached out and, Establish the rules and the gu the guidelines. Put down put down the gauntlet and say, okay, 
I understand this is this is something that you're dealing with. And this goes for everything. This goes if you have to do with depression, anxiety, anything. Okay, so this is what's happening for you. This is what I need. This is what you need. This is call out the elephant in the room. And these are the terms of our, our engagement. This is what our process is going to be. And so we both understand that and get everybody on the same page. Yep. Absolutely. And you brought up a good point because the way I see it, the end of the day, we're all different. Just getting people to under, to identify and adjust to our differences. Yeah, yeah. And set people up for success. That's, that is so important. For, for me, personally, um, people always laugh when, when I tell them, yes, I, I went all the way in, in school because I, I think any of my teachers in grade school would have been shocked. Um, I was a terrible student, most through, through high school. And, um, you know, it's always, that feeling. <laughs> it's always been a challenge and struggle because I'm not in, in the box. I never could sit there and just listen. For me, um, I definitely would have been diagnosed ADHD. As a, I mean, as a kid, I was hyperactive. I would sit there and mm. my pens. My teachers hated me. And, but I kept, um, I like to think of it like water. You go around it. You know, you, you, know, you just you go around, you pave your way. And when the traditional methods don't work, you persevere and you figure out what works for you. But the worst thing is when you're in a situation where you're not set up for success with a manager mm. who ignores you and then says, well, why didn't you do it this way? It's like, well, we mm. don't have communication. It's like, well, that's not setting you up for success because yep. everybody has something they're good at and something their challenges and managers need to identify that. And that's, again, setting the expectations and saying, this is where I'm at. This is where you're at. And, Back to our, our you know, title, the weaponizing. And, you know, <laughs> when you point that tool in the right direction, you set that person up for success in their environment and you get them what they need and, and point all that energy and knowledge and, and thought into something, it can be a huge asset. And you're absolutely right. And something that came to mind as well, uh, it also comes down to the person as well because if a person doesn't know that they're autistic or they have these no-diverse conditions, they won't know to ask for help. So I think that's the thing that a lot of people struggle with because they just go to work each day and live their lives, especially wearing a mask, a mask thinking, I have to fit in. I have to pretend to be normal. Yeah. And it's something that I think with the, the advent of the internet, um, it, it being technical, especially today, I mean, you know, what are, what are we talking about with, you know, big companies, big tech, right? I mean, te tech has become so much more powerful than yes. one pre-internet. And so, I mean, you look at shows, I mean, it's, it's just but like the Big Bang Theory, right? Oh, yes. These shows that became, say, you know, a, a, a top show, and it's such a silly show, and I know actually a lot of people that, that both relate to it and hate it at the same time. <laughs> but now... Um, you know, people used to, when, when the internet first came out in 10, you know, 20 years ago, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but that, wow, that kid that used to be up in high school is now the CEO. You know, now it's, it's Bill Gates, it's Steve Wozniak. I mean, these are these people that, that were, in my day and age, if you like computers, you were basically given a wedgie and stuffed in a locker, right? I mean, it was just yes. what it was. And now, though, it's like, okay. These are the, the powerful people. These are now the people that are employing the people that threw them in a locker and mm. are much more well accepted. Um, I have a, a good friend who was, was joking that his daughter, um, who 
was in high school and she had like a Minecraft server and she knew how to program. She said, all this stuff. I feel like the most popular kid in school because of this, because she knew how to do this stuff. And he's like, man, in my day, like I, I knew the same exact stuff and I was just not at all popular. And now in today's era, she's doing all this stuff and, and everybody loves it because it's all online. Um, digital name. That is so exciting. It, it really is because if you don't know how to use a computer, if you're not computer savvy, if you don't know that, then you're actually behind. And yeah, you know, this is something that's really interesting for a lot of the salespeople that enter security organizations and enter into technology is they have to be able to speak to a technical audience. Mm, yes, indeed. Have to. It's not. It's not about. Oh, okay. I mean, let's go out and get a game of golf. Right. It's, it's, it can be, but it's not, it's not that as much as it used to be. Um, mm. And I'm talking like, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I mean, even when you say, you know, had them over for dinner or something like that. And actually mm. even on the time of COVID because um, salespeople are struggling with how do I take this person out to dinner or, you know, how do I want to dine them? Requiring mm. us, you know, COVID especially took away our social interactions. Yes. What did that leave us with? All of us through a computer, not in not a computer, yes. in somebody's office. It it limited all of us. And I, you know, a lot of people joke that, you know, when we when we come out of this and everybody's back in an office together, nobody's gonna know how to talk to each other. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you know, what did you oh I used to be good at social skills. I don't know what those are anymore. But we really had to rely on our talents that were not just about social interactions and connecting to people and shaking somebody's hand. Mm. It became more, more than just a handshake. You had to connect to people strategically and effectively. Yep. So with all the changes, thanks to COVID, it'll mean to be seen, like if we go back to how things were, but my experience with the human history probably will. Cause even if you look say in London, like after the big fire in London, and that destroyed most of London. What they do? They just pretty much rebuilt it the way, same way it was. Oh so it teaches us, yeah, that even though things have changed now, real sustained, lasting change, that will be still a long-term fight, but there is always hope. Yes. <laughs> and next topic, the there's also a gender disparity as well, because with autism, autism, autism is often perceived as prim- affecting primarily males, similar to how cybersecurity is perceived as a male field, male-dominant field. This, this leads to a lot of women like not going diagnosed and just getting, being negatively labeled. Like, for example, like, uh, you brought up the example of a girl in school who knows computers. Because I remember back in the day, a girl who was good with the computers, they were just negatively labeled like as if they're violating a social norm. Mm-hmm. Sound like based on what you're saying, it's not like we made a lot of progress, so I'm happy with that. But based on your observations and findings, what can be done to make workplaces more welcoming to females who have uh, ASD? So I think it, it's a twofold question. Um, first, so in two steps. I, I think that in two steps. So first, I think there, in general, is and they are making a lot of steps towards this being welcoming of women and technology in general. Mm -hmm. That's step one. And then step two, starting to see the gradients of different types of women. When it comes to to women with with ASD, you're right, a lot of times they are undiagnosed. Um, Yes. They are labeled as quiet, 
or um, mousy. And I mean, if you think about it, but children is, is a lot of times, you know, boys will act out and, and run around and talk. And, and I, have, I have two girls. They never shut up. I would know in a second. <laughs> off. Um, but it, it, the more that we can recognize it, the more awareness, the more that we set young girls up with technology. Mm-hmm. So, so actually in raising my two daughters, they're twins. So they're both five grown up exactly the same. One um, is very much like loves the dolls and the pink. And then the other one loves making things. Um, her favorite Christmas present was an astronaut helmet that she wore the whole rest of the day at Christmas. I love it. She went into my, husband's, um, he has a, a garage that turned into like a maker space. And she said, I can't wait until I'm older and I can go in and make all sorts of things with you. And so we, we see with her that, she just loves to make and build and, and I know she touches everything. If there's a button, she's going to press it. Right. Mm-hmm. Parents, we want to develop and nurture that, that technological piece and, and grow her towards that. Now, if it turns out that her brain is doing all the structuring and her thought patterns and her behaviors are in a pattern that might be similar or recognizable as something that is ASD, we are looking out for that, but we're putting her in situations hopefully that, that might be able to recognize that. Um, it's, it's not something that's on the, the radar right now, but you know, studying what I've studied and been where I've been, it's always, it's always there of like, Oh, okay. What's, what are my children doing socially? Um, but it, it does go back to that awareness and that recognition. And that's why it, it meant so much also to me to see these parents attending the talk and saying, yes. how do I, what can I do about, you know, to help my children and for schools to be implementing programs that uh, can help, diagnose and recognize. I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, I don't know, there were learning disabilities, learning disability. My mother was a learning disability or learning reading disability specialist. And so she could recognize, oh, okay, um, you have an auditory processing disorder, but it wasn't ADHD. Here's your medication kiddo. Like it went through for a little while. And now we're sort of balancing it out from underdiagnosing to overdiagnosing. But as we we find that um, we're able to recognize in women and to look for it, that's really what what has to happen is be able to look for it and then have a path to okay what what where where um, can I put them with other people that might be able to help them who can mm-hmm. connect them to um, and the, the trick there is to be able to recognize high functioning that they're all in these gray areas because it did used to be dislabeled of like you're autism and that means you're you're really bad air quotes and if you have Aspergers that means you're kind of functional mm. um, and I remember as a kid reading a book, um, a babysitter's club book or something, and there was a child with Asperger's in it, and all she did was play the piano and didn't talk or anything. Mm. And while that was great that it brought awareness it, and brought that, you know, the, the notion, so the next time that I heard about autism or Asperger's, it wasn't foreign to me because I heard of it through this, this book I read as a kid. But that's not, but I was, I was really interested to see, oh, it's not just, you know, typing pattern or, or playing patterns on a piano. No, you can, these are people, you might not even recognize it. Absolutely. It's across the whole spectrum. It is. And the fact that, you I mean, just even it's become something like that we're looking at things on a spectrum now. And mm-hmm. everything, this is everything from we're looking at things like, I mean, depression, anxiety, but also gender, also, you know, it, it just personality. I mean, what's the spectrum as things become less binary and, and we move towards the gradient? And you know, we remember how people make us feel. So that that's usually what I sort of look for is if I'm, if I'm talking to somebody and uh, I just noticed that maybe the patterns of communication are a little bit off or there's a little bit of a um, lack of emotional connection sometimes. And, and again, 
not mm. always, but there's not, but there's just something that's just a little bit, um, like if you're ever listening to music and, and you know, like drumming and just a little bit of a, of a not like, it might be a little bit like, a little bit, you're like, okay, there, there that is. And I think it's, it's an enriching. It's an enriching. Absolutely. And also, I think there's also a society and slash cultural piece to it because usually when people, even more so for females, when they're different and if, or they show interest in computers, a lot of them might even be in denial because some may even think, no, I don't want to be seen as a negative. I want to be like, when the cool girl who goes out and like be normal. So I, I think there's also that piece, the denial denial piece. Yes. Um, I mean, for, for young girls in general, this is a whole other tangent I could probably go on for a while, that it does become very hard to be an individual. And thankfully now we're celebrating individuals and diversity more than ever, I hope, and moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yes. But even just in terms of diversity, where we were 30 years ago, we've come very far um, and, and still a long ways to go, but we're, we're getting there. And, and especially with mental health and, and with um, individual challenges, um, certainly with because like with COVID, it used to be that you would, you know, what you would go to the, the social, the holiday social, and you would mm. bring your family and kids and you would tell the kids, you know, play nicely, because you're you all up and act good and act like the perfect family for one night, right? Now, yeah, now it's all different. It's so different. You've seen their kids now running around screaming their heads off. I mean, you remember that it was a, um, it went viral. It was that little kid that came in on the um, BBC reporter. And oh, like, I didn't see that. Interview working from home, and this little kid, she's maybe three, she busts in to the office all happy, and it, like the mom comes running in and grab her and pull her out because she's horrified. Oh my gosh, she she interrupted the dad working from home, right? And this went viral because it was so cute, basically. It was yes, crazy. yeah, I see, I see, uh, I see that a lot in Zoom meetings. It's so funny. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's just another day of the week. Oh, okay, yes. my kid without their underwear again. Sorry about that. Like you know, or or whatever, whatever. There's the dog barking, or the mailman's here, or whatever. And so now we aren't perfect. Yeah, we're not. The the lines between who we are and who we are in the office are are blurrier, and, and that's that's not a bad thing. It's a, we yep. can embrace our differences. We can say, I agree. Who we are. You've seen my home. You now, you know, so, so while I could go into an office and you'd never know that, that I have a sword collection, you know, on my wall, but here I am. Now. So I'm cool. background and it is what it is. And so now you know that I am a huge Lord of the Rings nerd and that's Love what you it. know about me, you know, and, and, and that's okay. And it, I hope that that also is more of acceptance of ourselves too to be able to say, okay, this is something that's a little bit kooky about me because we all have that. And I think the more that, that we as individuals can accept, this is who we are. This is the thing yes. we don't want the world to know. You know, maybe your favorite thing to do is to, you know, watch old He-Man commercials with bunny slippers. <laughs> By all means, please do. You know, watch those episodes, have that ice cream, you know, have fun with that. And- but you know what? You probably have a very good point too because for a lot of people, self-acceptance is really hard just 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 that piece mm-hmm. and the it that internal conflict that alone can and traditionally has caused caused some people to even have a lot of mental health issues depression even suicide mm-hmm. but it all comes down to not necessarily the world and environment it's just the self yeah. that's going on inside yeah yeah we all 
get sad. We all get happy. We all have a range of emotions. Again, different variants. Some people more more than others. But when you can when you can recognize and say, okay, this is this is who I am. This is what I'm comfortable with. This yes. is what I'm not comfortable with. And if you're around somebody who's making you uncomfortable, um, you don't have to remain uncomfortable. But I, I, I come to ask yourself why. And this can mean anything from maybe somebody you feel is it could be sexual harassment and they're making you uncomfortable. That's an extreme, you know, example. But mm. Um, or you're with somebody and, and maybe they have patterns of behavior that, that make you uncomfortable. Somebody listen, you're in the office, they listen to a radio too loudly, right? I mean, and so by recognizing, okay, so this is something that is impacting me. Do I want to go over and ask them, hey, could you turn your music off? Well, you mm. can do that to somebody with their personality. You can't, you can't say, turn that off, right? So you have to navigate it. And mm. What sometimes we want to do is because we don't know ourselves well enough or we're not sure how to change ourselves. Yes. We push that on to the other person. You need to change. I don't like yes. to change you. And what do you do with that information? I mean, I've gotten that feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I, I'm not diagnosed with ASD or anything, but I, I know I march through a different beat in, in certain things. And um, so there's been times in my life where I've gotten that. Could you please stop doing that? Especially mm. you know, ADHD, I used to have to, in order to pay attention to a three-hour class, I had to do other work during the class. And I, I know that feeling. Yeah, you have to keep busy, you keep focused because otherwise it's almost a painful experience to sit there for three hours. And hmm. I had um, my, as in graduate school, and I had one of the other students approach me, and she was the only one who approached me to her credit. And she said, Listen, it really annoys all of us when you do other work during class. Could you please stop that? And I was like, What do I do with this? And, and then she just walked away, and I mentioned it to my friend, and she was like, Yeah, we've all kind of been talking about that. I'm like, So you were all just talking about this? Like, um, but I, you know, it just never occurred to me because I was doing that to survive in a way. To, mm-hmm. That was my, you know, challenge. And so, okay, fine. So now what I'll do is I'll just doodle like everybody else, and you know, won't do menial, you know, filing or, or Excel documents or you know, whatever. Um, but it, it never occurred to me that I could be bothering other people because it wasn't. Mm. I meant no disrespect to the class, the teacher, or anything else. I was just trying to survive a three-hour class yes. without crawling out of my skin. <laughs> Uh, I know. I really. I know that feeling. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the other piece is based on everything we talked about. I also see females with autism that, that could potentially open the door to a career path in cybersecurity, mm-hmm. because as everyone knows, in cybersecurity, there's this huge skills gap, and where I think there's was a number that roughly three and a half million estimated jobs are that are open. Yeah. So. I think more needs to be done to reach out to girls at an earlier earlier age to identify them to see whether they have ASD and to essentially open the door to show them cybersecurity is a potential career path, not not a not to pigeonhole them or anything, but it is still a possible path mm-hmm. based on their unique talents and to ultimately to have them accept who they are instead of being labeled by society or even themselves as being broken it's like we're all made to thrive and i think that message needs to be said loud and clear to a lot of people yes now one of the the biggest challenges i think this is for anybody going to the security industry because in in some of the the research i've done on burnout in the security industry um, people do get burnt out in it and some of that is caused by the industry itself Um, yes when you have people who uh, may have some, some mental health challenges or struggles, 
that have not been identified or have not been managed. And, you know, all stress comes out, right? We, what we try to do is we direct it, that energy and that stress in positive ways. However, if you're upset or you, you're not able to, to execute on something, it comes out sideways. And so you see hmm. in bullying, you see this in you know, Twitter flame wars. Yes. Um, and, I mean, people can be cruel. I mean, um, <laughs> depending on how somebody is introduced to the security industry. I was very fortunate in that I knew people that were in the security industry. I grew up a bit on BBSs and had gone to 2,600 meetings. And it's kind of, I, I did not um, nurture my, my technical knowledge. I stopped doing that somewhere around the time when, when DOS stopped being a thing. So <laughs> I wasn't, I remember DOS. <laughs> yeah, I was about, I remember to, to be dangerous, but unfortunately, when I went to, to college in 2000, you know, the college class that they had um, was this archaic program called PC Solve, and it was awful and miserable. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. I'm never taking another computer class again. And I went towards communication, still focusing on technology and, and whatnot, but the software side of it. Um, however, I know, I know women that have come into the security industry and not been met with as much acceptance. Um, mm. I've, I've encountered some very uncomfortable situations, some very patronizing people, um, you know, mm. their attitude towards women, um, that it can be borderline on sexual harassment, um, you know, and, and that's what we don't want. That's what we want to move against. And so thankfully there, there's um, a lot of different, both companies, people um, that, that are there that, that raise their hand and say, hey, if you're a woman in the security industry, you want to connect with me, you know, come come meet me at Black Hat, come and meet me here. And, and it's almost like a, a big sister, little sister, big brother, little brother kind of nice. um, where you get, and, and we used to have, a, uh, at, when I did this first conference, a mentoring program um, that then um, another person took over and wanted and ran with it even more. Um, it was Marissa, and she took it and ran with it as, an, as a program in itself to be able to get people into the security industry to be able to navigate it efficiently and well. Because the, mm. if you're somebody that goes to DEF CON and you're curious about it and you've been walking around DEF CON for a while, and De DEF CON is a unique creature in that it's not necessarily a, entirely representative, or maybe it is, I suppose, of the entire security industry in a way that, you know, Black Hat or ShmooCon or, um, you know, Hack in the Box or some of these, these conferences mm. are targeted towards, um, some of them, you just call them like the rock stars of the industry, but you would see sort of the same speakers or the same people, whereas Black Hat, or sorry, DEF CON is just a free-for-all. And you go mm. and there's, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, you know, people. There's a lot of different directions that you can go in based on where you land. Uh, I can't, that's something I can't imagine what it would be like I, to go to DEF CON alone. Uh, I think I've gone in a couple of different times, but always with, um, you know, friends. Usually I've been at Black Hat working and then, um, you know, gone for the weekend. You know, you brought up a good point because <laughs> interestingly enough, I even I've never been to DEF CON or Black Hat, probably for the exact same reason because for people who are neurodiverse or who are just have a, social stigma, going to a large event with so many people, it can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So that opens another question. What conferences would you recommend for people to make the transition to cybersecurity easier? Which, which conferences would be more comfortable? The B-Sides conferences um, were really wonderful for that. Um, mm -hmm. The smaller conferences, your local conferences, um, a couple of places, like they have things like in Boston, it used to be Bean Sec, uh, which was a oh once a month um, coffee night and Bay Sec for San Francisco. Mm. So the small, uh, the small conferences, I, I really recommend because you're, 
yeah, you're just not going to get quite as much um, external noise. They're more there for a reason. Um, there's certain people, like I, I would recommend following um, a couple of different people on, on Twitter. There's some some wonderful people. Um, you know, Jack Daniel, if you're familiar with Jack Daniel, most people know him as the guy with the, the beard. Um, <laughs> he's uh, actually one of the champions of Bean Set. I'm sorry, not Bean Set. That Bean Set, but of um, B-Sides. And so he would like Oh, nice. I think I connected to him on LinkedIn, but I never met him in person yeah. thanks to COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but he's somebody who's always looking out for other people. Actually, especially he's a wonderful person to talk to um, just for resources in general. I, I adore Jack. But, um, but there's, there's people um, that specifically at these small conferences that you can connect to. And the conference, mm. matters. if you email them, I mean, I know from, from running a conference that when we run a conference, if I knew somebody was going to be new or a student or whatever, that's one of the reasons why we started the mentor program to have them come to it and to get them to network. So anybody who was new to the security industry or a student, we would have networking sessions. We would have student uh, opportunities. You'll see, ah. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, so there are conferences that are out there and you can ask people um, to direct you, you know, to them. So let me make a, a Twitter post with LinkedIn of looking for these things. And you can see also around Black Hat, um, people will get access to free passes and they will say, okay, I want to give this free pass. I think last year it was that I want to give this free pass to somebody who is a woman interested in the security industry and would like to attend Black Hat. Wonderful. Yes. That's definitely needed. Yes. And, and those people, when you see those, not only is it like, oh, wow, that's a really great opportunity. If you're interested in, in championing what they're behind, to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I think, I want to say, I think it was like Chris Anger, Dave Litchfield, or, you know, that they had done this and to reach out to them and say, hey, I saw that you did this. I really love that notion. Are there other things that we could be doing to help yes. encourage? And so find people that are, are sharing your ideals and sharing the things that you want to champion and, and help support that. So I mean, when I open, so I start with following people on Twitter and go into the smaller conferences. If you know somebody is going to be there. And a lot of these people, if you say, hey, I'd love to talk to you for just five or 10 minutes. Most people in person are much more welcoming. Um, mm. They find them on Twitter. It's just that, that this association piece when they see you right in person and you're saying, mm. here are my challenges. Here's what I'm trying to figure out. Most people are, are really welcoming and can at least point you in the right direction if they're not the person to talk to. I definitely agree. I, I met a lot of wonderful people at conferences and online. Hard part, especially for some people, is you just have to have the courage to ask <laughs> that's yeah. the first part it's really hard and one thing I've noticed for all the various no uh, diversity and autism hiring programs throughout the world there's just so many of them that they pre pre that are preparing people who are neurodiverse for roles in cybersecurity how do you what, what would you recommend to improve those programs or to enhance programs to hire and train more people in cyber um can you expand just upon that just a little bit? So do you mean... Uh, well, for example, like uh, in my research, a, a lot of programs, they they I, sorry, uh, they reference the DTC or the Dandelion program out of uh, out of Asia. Mm -hmm. So they use it as a template. But I, along the way, like a term, every program has gaps and struggles and challenges. So based on your observations of neurodiversity hiring programs, what, what would you recommend to companies to improve their neurodiversity hiring practices? Well, I think the recognition piece is important. And this has to come also from human resources as well as yes. the hiring managers. Human resources are going to set the tone, and they're the ones that really often many times determine um, 
what what the assessments will be used or the the hiring process or who gets interviewed and they kind of they coordinate that and um i very much i'm very much a fan of, of hr departments that are focused on culture i've mm. get there's different types of hr right so there's a lot of hrs that is focused on policies and procedures and there's yeah. you know are there going to be lawsuits are there going to be you know are you are you uh, in compliance with everything. I mean, you get a good, every company does need somebody who's really good at compliance, but sometimes yes. HR can be so focused on say com- compliance and processes and making sure that the company is covered that they don't always focus on the people. It's going to especially happen with hmm. startups is, you know, because you, you're not necessarily focused on, on the culture because you don't know what your culture is yet. Companies that invest in culture from the beginning, hands down, they, they, are, are stronger for it. Um, Rapid Seven, if you actually look at the culture that Rapid Seven has built, um, Christina Laconi, who I've known, we have realized I've known her for almost 20 years now. I can't believe it's gone that time, but she sees <laughs> herself as a startup junkie because she she loves creating it. She was actually um, the HR person at, at Stake, one of the original, of course, you know, one of the, the original security companies, from the Loft and consultants. And she created, helped create that culture because she believes in culture. And I love it her talk because for her it's it's she understands the challenges that people in technology face and recognizing that that not only is there the company culture but there's also going to be departmental cultures yes absolutely yes and you have to be able to recognize that and to be able to create a hiring process that works for, for tech hiring that works for sales hiring for works for all different types of people now you also have to be careful because there are issues you can't ask somebody so you know do you, do you suffer from depression do you suffer from anxiety <laughs> oh my. have you been diagnosed with anything you may not actually realize it until the person is is right in front of you mm-hmm. yes another piece of this is that a lot of times in technology People are hired into a management position because they know technology so well, not because they're such good managers. And, and no disrespect to, to managers in technology, I, many, many wonderful ones. But what happens is when somebody is very talented with skills, they often get promoted and then yes. themselves in a management position with no management training. Yes, absolutely. I've seen that myself. Okay, and last question, and this is more, a little more open-ended, so... Based on your research and work with autism uh, and cybersecurity over the past few years, do you have anything to share to my audience, something, anything you're passionate about, something you want to bring up? I'm very, very passionate, again, about um, advocating for oneself and, and creating a culture of both for yourself and your life and, and just everywhere of tolerance, of patience, mm. right? That be able to recognize where your limitations are, to be able to, mm. as a manager and as a person, help create that awareness. Social skills, I mean, these are not something people are necessarily born with. Um, having the right words. We, mm. no, we always say that, right? You know, my foot lives right near my mouth all the time, right? And it's part and error a lot of the times. But we're all doing the best that we can. And we all have something that we're, we're struggling with. And it's not with your staff. These are your staff are people with, with challenges, with strengths. And to be able to set them up for success, to be able to recognize and strategize. And I'm, I'm very, very passionate about creating cultures and organizations that help tailor to the individual. And when you mm-hmm. do that, you will find research shows time and time again that employees who are the, the, the elusive confidence of engagement, when we feel what's called psychologically safe, that we can be ourselves, that we can make us mm. connect to people without the fear that we might have of judgment, that people flourish, that they then connect to companies. And, and so I really hope that 
actually with, with COVID and with remote work, because so many companies had to step out of their comfort zone to accommodate people, that that continues. That we see, okay, so maybe you can't work from you know nine to twelve because you have kids, but in the afternoon you can't. Or maybe you're better working at home because you have ASD and that you know the the stimulation is overwhelming for you and that mm. you're frustrated and cranky and snappy. But working at home, you can heads down be productive. Yes. Companies that would never have done that because they were like, no, no remote. We could never go remote. Oh my god, we have to go remote. Look at us going remote, right? They took a chance. And, they, mm-hmm. and it worked for a lot of people. I've had so many companies say, we didn't think it would work, but it worked. Absolutely. And I, I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do, Stacey. It's incredible. Okay. And you know, right about all the time. Thank you. Thank you, Stacey, for everything. Absolutely. Very powerful insight. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a great day. Great Bye. Too. Bye.